We gather around a table and we discuss the films. It'll never come up in a film studies course. This week's film, Across the Universe, a documentary about Neil deGrasse Tyson and uh, the theories of relativity, quantum physics, and all of that good stuff. I knew you were going to do a quantum entanglement joke. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, what else could you do with something like that? Yeah, know? things that, uh, that react to each other across the universe. It's yeah, a, I got gotcha. you. It sounds sciencey. Yeah. Um, or maybe it's a musical about the Beatles. Well, not really about the Beatles, but, but kind, kind of kind of about their music. It's a world in which the Beatles never existed, and yet, but everybody knows their music. Everyone's, uh, their, their songs are alive in everyone's hearts all the yep. time. It's Yeah, it's that thing that it is. So uh, we're going to... Do we have an official, as we continue this musical marathon, do we have a, a name for this marathon? I've just been calling it the musical review. Oh, I do like that. Yeah, it that's is, good. It's, it's, it's that, yeah. So uh, we're going to do that continued moving on into this. In case you, um, you're tuning in for the first time, you might want to know who we are. So let's identify ourselves. Who are you, sir? I am Arthur Gordon, and music is the only thing that makes sense anymore. That's very, very true. And who are you to my right, sir? My name is Dalton Stewart, and we're navigators, we're aviators, eating taters, masturbating alligators, bombardiers, we got no fears, won't shed no tears, we're pushing the frontiers of transcendental perception, baby. And my name is Dustin Sells, and I don't think Dalton Stewart could hit the barn door side of a broad. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good joke. I forgot about that joke when I was watching this. It was... Uh, tickled. Yeah, it's, uh, it's got some funny lines. Um, so, in case you're tuning in for the very, very first time to the Good Trash Genre Cast, we want to warn you, this is not a review show. No, no, no. It is an analysis show. And that means that we will spoil the end of the film. But we won't do that until two-thirds or halfway through. And uh, what we'll do before that... Yes, sir? Oh, spoiler alert. He gets uh, shot coming out of his apartment. Uh, <gasps> oh! Spoiler alert. Turns out Ringo was actually the best Beatle the whole time. <laughs> Spoiler alert. It's all Yoko's fault. No, it wasn't. It really wasn't. No, no Yoko no. just fed, uh, uh, added gasoline to a fire that was already going. Yeah. So we're going to talk about all of that good stuff. There's a Buffy episode about this. It's called The Yoko Factor. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Spike, so, Spike elucidates everyone on how it wasn't Yoko's fault. So here's how the spoilerage, though, works. Uh, we'll have a synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema. Then we'll have our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which will be spoiler free. We'll play a game which might or might not involve a mild spoiler of this film rather in its orbit probably not this week and then we get down to business there'll be a musical cue that lets you know that that business has commenced and therefore spoiler bets are off you have been warned so without any further ado mr arthur gordon voice of that there cinema let's hear that synopsis please the music of the beatles and the vietnam war form the backdrop for the romance between an upper class american girl and a poor Liverpudian artist. Liverpudlian? Pudian. This is Pudian. Liverpudlian. Pudlian. There's an L there. I kind of like Pudlian, though. Sounds like a sequel to Gulliver's Travels. Those Lilliputian Liverpudlians <laughs> um, are going to, uh, yeah, they're going to tie up Jimi Hendrix, and it's going to be a weird, weird story. So, and Jimi Hendrix, much different movie. Makes some JoJo Hendrix. JoJo Hendrix. Yeah, there's, there's, and uh, and Sadie, Sadie, who is clearly Janis Joplin. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. no, the the '60s, totally the music good. of the '60s did not actually happen, uh, except in the, the this uh, this band of friends and their their wild fever dreams. And yeah, so okay, well there you go. There's a synopsis. and Bono's there. 
And Bono's there, and so is, you know, Eddie Izzard and Selma Hayek. So And Joe Cocker. Weird time. Yeah, time. he is. Hey, guys, this movie's fun. It is fun. So, okay, let's talk about what we think. Let's do our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Dalton, what do you say? Thumbs up, thumbs down review. You um, advocated hard that we do this film. I did, yeah. I'm the only one that had seen it before, right? Correct. Correct. That was what I thought. Okay, yeah, so I, I hadn't seen this movie in a couple of years, but uh, it, it was a big deal for me when it came out. Uh, it, I, I was a, a theater kid in high school when this movie came out, uh, and uh, all the damn theater kids went and saw this movie. And, uh, yeah, it was all anybody talked about or listened to for a while. Uh, many a jokes uh, were uh, had and done in re- response in relation to this movie. It was, it was a big deal uh, in my teen years. And uh, I appreciate it fair enough at the time. Uh, now is a, a good time to say that uh, while, you know, like most people, I appreciate the Beatles. I am uh, not a dyed-in-the-wool Beatles fan, really. I just, I do like them, though. Um, this uh, movie was my my primer to a lot of their, their B-sides, though. A lot of the deep cuts, which is fun that uh, I think, and Dustin and I were talking about this off-air a little bit. Uh, one of the, the strengths of this film, I think, is they do a lot of the back catalog songs, which is fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. You, you get your hits in there, obviously. Mm-hmm. But they uh, they do do uh, do, do uh, some numbers that are from, from the back catalog. And I think that's just a fun way to uh, keep the audience going, reminding them, hey, uh, remember this song that uh, nobody talks about? That's a fun one. Um, and at the risk of spoiling things, this movie is not really about characters and plot. Look, it is a pretty standard musical story. Uh, boy and girl meet, boy and girl become separated, boy and girl reunite. I mean, at the, again, at the, at the risk of spoilers, it's a pretty standard musical plot. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't think uh, any of the cast and crew would make the argument that that's not what they were doing. Uh, what they did was take the Beatles and make a, a stage show. Uh Instead of taking it to Broadway, though, they did it on film. And I, I think that was a smart call. I think this works uh, in the same ways uh, the Beatles' music worked. It democratized art uh, in music. It took pop music and turned it into art music. And that's kind of what this movie does. It takes the art of uh, Broadway and uh, brings it to the screen in a way that I, I think you would have a hard time arguing other uh, filmed musicals do. I think the visuals on display in this film are spectacular, from costumes and set design uh, to just uh, camera and dance choreography and uh, just inventiveness and creativity. I mean, it is, is all over this film. So, yeah, the, the characters are very thinly sketched. Uh, they They don't really have any hopes or dreams or desires they really do just kind of represent feelings and uh, i'm game for a movie that does that i'm, I'm gonna be honest uh, I, I know that saying the characters aren't you know full of depth and inner life is honest is often a dig on a movie i kind of like it here i i like that they know that that the story and songs aren't going to be able to hold up any deep character introspection but what they can do is use these songs and use these characters and assign songs to characters that paint a picture of feeling. Uh, and I think while this is a movie that is lacking depth in some ways, I think what it does very well is uh, brings emotion out. I, I think it... Um, look, th- this movie is much like The Beatles. Uh, it, it's a little bit more shallow than uh, people want to admit, but at the same time, it speaks to things that are intangible and kind of hard to define sometimes. And uh, it goes a little bit nutty at the halfway point, again, much like the Beatles' career. But that's when it gets super interesting. So, yeah, I, I, I'm a fan of Across the Universe for all those reasons and more, including 
the incredible vocal performances you get in this movie. We already mentioned some of the the cameos from Bono and Joe Cocker and Salma Hayek and Eddie Izzard, but Evan Rachel Wood uh, as Lucy has some great songs. Uh, Dana Fuchs, Fuchs uh, as Sadie has a voice that will shatter earth and time. Jim Sturgis doesn't have to do a uh, John Lennon or Paul McCartney impression because he already sounds like he's from Liverpool, and they're like, well, that's close enough. That's fine. Just sing how you sing. Everybody's great. It's it's a hoot. I like it a lot. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Thumbs up, thumbs down review of Across the Universe. Uh, it's okay. okay. It's a fine movie. Um, I, I think it, it gets a little too close to trying to be the Beatles. I think it really i don't know i think it just serves as a tool to to really just do those cool musical numbers um it does have some great sequence i don't want to downplay that i think it has some wonderful sequences they do some great covers and some great arrangements of these these uh songs and i I like using like you said the back catalog doing kind of those deep cuts as well as the the ones everybody knows i I feel like they kind of try to shoehorn a few in uh and tack them onto these subplots that don't go anywhere i think a lot about prudence uh which doesn't go anywhere uh, with I Want to Hold Your Hand and then Dear Prudence. And it really sucks because it's it's one of the more interesting plot lines. It is. And I, and I almost feel like they just throw it in there just so that they could have that that character there. And, and, and the same thing with JoJo. Like that arrangement and, and sequence of Let It Be is fantastic. And it's great. Heartbreaking. But I just don't feel like they go anywhere with JoJo. I mean, to build him up such in such a strong way that early on, he just kind of becomes a, uh, just a, he's a supporting kind of side character. And I don't really feel like they fulfill a lot of those uh, intentions that they set up. And I feel like they do it just to get those songs in there and do them in a really good way. Cause I like those sequences. I like, I want to hold your hand and I like, uh, let it be and, and come together. Yeah. It, it goes phenomenal. It, and it goes right into come together yeah. in a really fun it way. Great. You, know, you have the, this guy who is like grieving the death of his brother. And then, you know, the, they use come together for the, the chaos that is this guy going to New York yeah. for the first time. Yeah. It's, I, it's a great sequence. Yeah. And, and so I, I don't want to doubt because I think there are great sequences, but, but they don't pay off. Yeah. Uh, and, to me, it just feels like they're doing the Glee thing, and it just feels like an overly long episode of Glee, and it doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, and as Dalton said, the narrative is pretty traditional, pretty standard. And and I think it kind of commits a sin that Dal- uh, Dustin brought up when we talked about Hairspray. In you know, on the surface, Hairspray seems to be very intentionally telling us, oh, segregation is bad. And I feel like this is what this is doing. You know, it, it's just kind of, you know, Vietnam sucked. Yeah. And, segregation was bad, and Vietnam sucked, and yeah. homophobia sucks. Well, yeah. Yeah. And so I don't really know. Hot that, take. I don't know that it uses the music to its full power to really explore anything beyond the surface. And so it's fine. I, I, I'm not mad that I watched it. And I think it's worth a watch. I think there are some really fun sequences, but I don't know that it has a lot of staying power beyond that for me. Very, very good. I appreciate that very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Now, I want to tell you guys, I am a Beatle maniac. I know who Stu Sutcliffe was. I know who Pete Best were. Whoa, and, okay. okay. So I, I know, like, old, yeah, old players with the band when they were touring in Germany before they made it. Oh, those dirty, dirty Hamburg days. Yeah, those Hamburg days. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm all about the Beatles. I have bugs for the Beatles. So I, I want to I I put that out there first. I didn't like this movie very much. I mean, it's fine. Really? Okay. I, I like the songs because I like the Beatles. Yeah. But I'm th- this 
This does the thing, and I'm going to say something heretical now. Uh-oh. This does the thing that I don't like about Forrest Gump. It's just a story that is, you know, we've got a, a handful yeah. of characters and the, the sweep of history is going on with a rockin' soundtrack that reminds you of that moment. But really, what's happening narratively is nothing much and nothing all that interesting. The, the best parts of the movie are the historical things, which is not actually exploring, and the musical stylings that it's using, which is also not actually exploring in these sort of any way that, of any significance. And so it's it's I mean I just I just soon listen to a Beatles album, really. Yeah. I mean that that that's the thing is like I would rather just listen to the Beatles uh than go through the sort of narrative. Now, I will say this, there are some amazing moments. There are some sequences that are great. There are some covers that are really interesting. That again, I like the songs, but the songs themselves are not enough to carry on uh, the, this kind of musical film. It's got to do all the other things. It's got you've got to have narrative things that you're concerned about, and you've got to have um not just moments of brilliance when it comes to the visuals, but you have to have, have the consistent sort of visual yeah. thing work in there and it's just it doesn't do any of that so yeah. i'm i'm kind of pretty cool yeah i i i think it want i mean when it does try to start dealing with the i think a lot of that enlistment sequence when he goes mm-hmm. to the to the whatever enlistment area um it really starts to do some really interesting i think uh visuals and stuff like that and kind of some political commentary uh, but then that's it. it I, I really think anytime they start to scratch the surface, the song ends and they just move on with the story. Yeah. And and so for me, it's just it, it really is like this amazing set of potentials that it just never quite managed to live up to, as you said, Arthur. And uh, that's that's where it really falls flat for me. So, I mean, I liked it. I'm not mad I watched it, but it is not my favorite movie. And it's not even my favorite movie about the Beatles or Beatles film. And so it's 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 well, well low in the uh, in that sort of canon of things. So, uh, yeah, today I will be making the case that this is an <laughs> undersung gym and this this movie was not super well received when it came out uh, no. critically it no pretty pretty mixed leaning a little positive uh and again i i'm not disagreeing with anything you guys are saying yeah. i think you're both 100 percent correct about everything you have said um i feel like i kind of like the movie in spite of those things uh yeah. and, and honestly maybe even a little bit because of them the movie is deeper than it wants to be just like the beatles were deeper than weren't as deep as they wanted to be. Sorry. Well, it's probably fair at yeah. that point. And yeah. again, I like the Beatles. Uh, I think they really were doing the best they could to engage with the culture and with uh, the evolution of pop music. And really, they they were doing their best to try and do or say something. And I, I, I think this film pays homage both to the, the high-minded ideals, not only of the, the Beatles, but also of the 60s. And also engages with the the fact that there, there wasn't a whole lot of substance there sometimes, and that that prevents you know certain things from taking root. And uh, I'm off on a soapbox and babbling now, but uh, I'm, I'm going to make the case. I, I think I'm I'm really am going to try to not if not win you guys over, at least make the case that this film uh, has merit to, in spite of these things. Well, we're going to say a lot of controversial things that people are going to have a lot of opinions about, and we would like for them to participate in that conversation. I by certainly social hope, I don't. I hope media. not. I don't want to get yelled at. The, the Beatles are bigger than Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh my.
Well done. Dusterverse. Tell them how they can have the conversation with us, Dalton. I will absolutely do that. If you have any thoughts uh, on this or other things, one of the best ways to do that is on Twitter, at good underscore trash. That is the Twitter handle for Good Trash Media and our show, uh, the Good Trash Genre Cast. So if you want to know about this show or just other things that we're doing, good underscore trash is the place you you can engage with us. Uh, Maybe you have... uh, suggestions for a movie you'd like to hear us talk about boom at good underscore trash maybe uh you have some thoughts on the praise down uh the show that heath and alex host about um christian music yeah sure at good underscore trash is a place you can do that uh we're also on facebook facebook.com forward slash gtm uh do we have to stay on facebook say what do we have to stay on facebook we don't have to. I, I mean, don't know. There's no There's no gun. There's I'm pretty no... sure you've been giving the wrong URL for it for a long time there's anyway. No, is it not just slash GTM? I think it's Good Trash Media. Oh, well, shit. I don't know. I don't ever get on it. I don't either. Because uh, I'm not on Facebook. And uh, frankly, I don't think you should be either. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, if you do want to find us on Facebook, Dustin has the alerts set up. You can do that. Uh, maybe get off Facebook. Look, we all were party to these Senate hearings. Uh, it was a goddamn dog and pony show you don't need to be on facebook go talk to your friends go tell your friends about the good trash genre cast and how much you like it tell them about good trash media tell them about goodtrashmedia.com where all of our content lives and breathes and uh frolics free in the fields and you can tell your friends about it and they'll go enjoy it those strawberry fields forever so yeah um get on dr robert's magical bus and uh go to go tell people about our podcast you don't have to do that uh but, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, tell your your siblings? I don't know. Uh, tell people you like uh, that you, you got a, a movie podcast in your life that you think is worthwhile. Um, finally, the uh, easiest and uh, most, uh, I don't know, low-effort way you can help us, just rate, review, and subscribe to the show on however you get your podcasts. And if you feel like donating financially, if you feel like helping keep the ship afloat, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash gtm. And that is where you can give us money if that's something you want to do. You don't have to. But uh, if you do, we'll give you some stuff. You can, uh, you know, pick a movie. Or uh, we'll send you a bargain bin DVD. All kinds of fun things over there. Patreon.com forward slash GTM. And we're done with this part. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Daltonford. I think it's now time to play the game. It might feel good. It might sound a little something. But damn the game. If it don't mean nothing, what is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? Behind the game, behind the game. I got game, she got game, we got game, they got game, he got game. It might feel good, it might sound a little something, but fuck the game if it ain't saying nothing. Damn, was it something I said? And we're back, and we have come together right now to talk about our game. This week's game is uh, Bands We'd Like to See Made into Musicals. That's right, Bands We'd Like to See Made into Musicals, brought to you by Across the Universe. Across the Universe, it's... Uh, Musical about the Beatles, directed by Julie Taymor. Correct. It is all of those things. Wait, so is Across the Universe the Ready Player One of Beatles? Ooh. That's a good question, and yes. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I would agree with that. Yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah. Okay, that was easy. Excellent yeah. assessment. Yeah. Second question before we get into the game. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite musical number in the film? Come Together. Oh, yeah. Ooh. With a very close second of Happiness is a Warm Gun. I'm going to go ahead and say I want you followed by I've just seen a face followed by I am the walrus. 
Oh, I Am the Walrus is good. I Am the Walrus is good. I, I like uh, I Want You as well. And I, I like the bowling alley. I can't remember which song it is, but I like the bowling alley. That, that's, yeah, I've okay. seen a face. So, yeah, I'm just going to echo Dalton. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. They're good numbers, man. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we're, we're, we're playing this game, and we're going to suggest bands whose discography, or at least an album perhaps, I don't know how you guys have put together your picks uh, for this, would make into an interesting musical a la the sort of thing that we encounter here with Across the Universe. So, Arthur, I go to you number first. What say you for your first band for a movie musical? I, I think my first pick, and I think it's only fitting because I think both of these bands challenge each other grow, and it's the Beach Boys. Um, I yes. think you see that similar growth. You've got some great musical uh, numbers there especially once you get to pet sounds and it gets real bonkers and inventive. Um, but you had some real genius at work in the beach boys when they were able to move away from their kind of pop surf, surf shop sound. And, uh, I, which Brian Wilson credits, uh, yeah. Sergeant peppers for doing, he, uh, here at Sergeant peppers were like, what the, f- what we guys, we gotta be, we gotta change it. We gotta do something else. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think they both kind of went back and forth. You know, I think the Beatles were hearing some of the early beach boys kind of sound and harmonies and things like that. And we're able to incorporate that and vice versa. The Beatles pushed them to do some inventive stuff. And Brian Wilson is just. A genius. A musical genius. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, I think you can kind of do some of the same things here. You kind of start normal and you get a little trippy and uh, you see where it goes. And uh, in my room is going to be a heartbreaker and uh, it'll be a good, uh, I think it'll be a good time. I-, I like the Beach Boys quite a bit. I support that entirely, sir. Okay, what's your number first pick, Dalton Stewart? Uh, my number first pick is going to be another English band with a also very dense discography uh another band that started as one thing and continually pushed the bounds of what sort of group they were going to be and it's the clash oh, i thought nice. you were say oasis no it's not going to be oasis <laughs> uh i'm gonna go with the clash uh g- give me give me that movie about uh the mid to late 80s and uh in the uk nice. and uh, coming up in that punk scene um i really thought you were going to say the rolling stones myself you know what? Also a strong contender. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah. be honest. That's that's uh, a, a deep, deep catalog. But I'm going to go with The Clash. Again, f- for the same reasons that I think uh, Across the Universe is so effective, I think The Clash is a band with a, a very singular sound and yet one that evolved and changed as, as the band went on. And also... Kind of similarly to the Beatles, there wasn't any one like big thing. It just kind of it went for a while, and then it ended. Now again, I'm uh, no Clash historian, but uh, as as I understand it, it wasn't like a giant fight or anything. It just kind of you know sometimes you decide you want to go do other stuff instead of being in a band. Yeah, but uh, I, again, that's that's going to be my first pick. I, I think you could do a lot of things with uh, with that catalog that just really. Uh, you know, again, when you have a band that discography covers a very large time span and is kind of tied closely to a, either a cultural or a musical movement, I think you've got got legs to uh, tell a story with that uh, with that catalog. Absolutely, absolutely. So my first suggestion is going to be music that would uh, be the movie that I wish this movie was. Okay. A movie about the 60s protest movement. I mean, specifically dealing with the counterculture and the campus culture of protesting the war and civil rights movement and all of that sort of stuff. And I think uh, a movie using the music of Bob Dylan would be perfect for that kind of thing. And um, there's a deep enough discography. Everyone knows the songs. And so it's got all that sort of... um, uh, audience pleasing yeah. sort of aspects to it, and you know Bob Dylan, and I, I love me some Bob Dylan, and Bob Dylan's always better when he's covered, and so you also are able to overcome yeah. a lot of that. A little bit. A little have bit. you seen I'm Not There? I have not seen I'm Not uh, There, but that's a bi- that's a biography of Dylan. I don't life, know if it's a it's straight a biography very, or if it's just influenced by his life. It's type a very of untraditional biopic because yeah. yeah. they've got like five different people playing, including Kate Blanchett, who plays him at one point. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know exactly how it plays. I've never seen it, but I've always wanted to. 
No, I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting the sort of animal that we're dealing with here. We're yeah. dealing with the protest movement and the counterculture, just but let's just, to. let's just set it to the music of Bob Dylan. And I, I yeah. think uh, narratively you could do something a, a bit more on on point yeah. uh, with that. So, you know, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. And uh, so there's good stuff to be found there. So there's our number first picks. Number next pick. What's your first of the number next picks, Mr. Arthur You're Gordon? making this just way too hard for everybody involved. I, I like to do it. Uh, well, praise Jesus. My next pick is Kanye West. What? Um, and I think you tell the tale, the American dream and I, I, and the way that looks in today's society and you can do it and you start with college dropout and you work your way through graduation and you can uh, put together something that looks all kinds of bonkers because he lends himself to doing some kind of experimental things, uh, especially once you get into, uh, uh, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. Right. And, and you get that weird, you know, what they're doing here in the seventies and stuff. And I, I think that soundtrack would be lit. Uh, but I also think it could lend itself to a very interesting uh, study and uh, commentary of the modern American dream and what that does and doesn't look like anymore. And, and again, uh, you're talking about an artist that it advances their medium, just like the Beatles. Uh, Heath yeah. Huffman, uh, co-host of The Praise Down, was making the case to me uh, that uh, Kanye is the Beatles of hip-hop, just in terms of being influential and yeah. having this big shift in what the sound was about halfway through the career. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Arthur. Yeah. That's a good pick. I like it a lot. All right, Dalton, what's your number next pick? Uh, my number next pick is uh, – this. I'm – Look, uh, we're talking about the the great storytellers and songwriters of this generation. Uh, I think you look need look no further than Kendall. Look, ooh, bad. words Come are hard on. today. Sorry, Come I know on. I fucking whiffed it right out the gate, <laughs> yeah, man. Did. I got so excited thinking about it. It's we don't even edit Lamar. this show anymore, so you can't. No, well, there's no need to look. It's fun when you get to hear the messy bits, listener. Uh, Kendrick Lamar. I, I, I think I, I don't even think nice. you need to do the whole discography. I think you just do Good Kid, Mad City. Or, mm. but look, it's going to be so much more fun if you bring in Untitled and Master to Pimp Butterfly. Uh, damn, maybe even some stuff from the Black Panther soundtrack, uh, or you know, you wait another two or three decades and uh, let that uh, let that uh, discography get built up and do the whole retrospective musical. You could do it in a lot of different ways, uh, but when you're talking about somebody whose every single record is a concept album, you kind of got a movie there already. Yeah, um, and that is honestly the argument I would make for is probably going single record on that uh, as opposed to a giant you know collection of the entire career. But uh, that is my next pick is Kendrick Lamar. Very, very good. I appreciate that very much. Now, thinking about the kind of film that we have, right, this sort of love story, just telling the story of a couple getting together and they're singing songs and they're songs that an audience knows, that an audience finds be very, very familiar. And so I'm going to have a pretty pretty small discography pick here, but I think uh, specifically their first album is an album in which every single song is a hit, every single song is somebody a song that you know, and every single song is something you want to sing along with. I want to see the Hootie and the Blowfish first album. <laughs> Made into a just typical romantic. <laughs> tell, tell me people would not go. Tell me people would not sing their hearts out to that. I don't, I don't think so, Dustin. You don't think so? I don't think so. No, man. I, I, <laughs> I don't think so. No, I absolutely think so. I, I think. I don't well, think there's the no, only one tooting. I don't that think horn, there's buddy. no. I think the rest of Gen X will probably toot the horn too. I mean, they'll lie and say they didn't buy those hoodie records. That hoodie record, but they know they did. There's a there's a maybe it's a generation specific niche there. But maybe Amanda Carey is a comic here in Oklahoma City, and she has a joke about that about uh, how Mumford and Sons is the new hoodie and the blowfish. Is nice. like, yeah, all the millennials are gonna pretend they didn't listen to Mumford and Sons in ten years, but you all know you bought that first record. Yeah, yeah it was Amanda Carey's joke, and and hoodie is exactly that. 
I mean, I think it, you're right. I think there's something to that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think you know, it's mark well marketed and people will go and it'll be a very, very, you know, sort of sentimental crowd pleasing kind of movie. But yeah, that, that hootie movie music would work perfect for that. Hootie movie. Hootie movie. Hootie movie. We're going to call it the hootie movie. In fact, um, that's a terrible, no. terrible, idea. an extremely hootie movie. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Incredible. The story of the moody blues. Extremely loud and incredibly hootie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got to move on. Number last, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what is your number last pick? Well, uh, I always thought about this movie idea and uh, in specific regard to my dad and telling the story of this kind of blue-collar guy whose life never went the way he wanted it to. And I always thought it would be appropriate to set it to the sounds of the man in black, Johnny Cash. Nice. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Did I, think you were going to say Springsteen, but I'm honestly happy. Yeah, my dad would listen to Springsteen. So I, Honestly, I was going to be really surprised. Yeah, no. Everything I know about your dad does not lead me to no. believe he was a Springsteen no. guy. Uh, it, uh, maybe the high. I mean, I, we could do the whole Highwayman thing, get Johnny Whalen and Chris and mm. Willie in there. Give but, me that super group. Yeah, but uh, I think just Johnny's story is is the American story for a long time for a certain sect of people. Uh, and, and speaking to the downtrodden and, and things like that. And so I think it would lend itself to a very uh, uh, emotional-driven film uh, uh, following a, a guy growing up in the 50s and, and trying to figure out life in the 60s and 70s and, and what that looks like. And uh, Johnny's there the whole way, uh, evolving as the nation involves uh, and moving into Vietnam. So I think it would be an interesting lead-up into something like the Bob Dylan yeah. film. So. Nice. Oh, yeah, man. Well played, well played. Okay, what's your number last pick, Dalton Stewart? Look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you this next pick is going to be something you could easily hang a story on. I'm just looking to have a good time. Uh, but, again, through this whole thing, we've kind of been talking about some artists uh, that are tied to a time and a place, right? You know, we've got the Beatles, which is not really tied to a place, but is tied to the 60s just because of the nature and duration of their career, right? Uh, you've got The Clash very much tied to the 80s, uh, the early to late 80s punk scene in London. Um uh, you know, Kendrick very heavily tied to Compton and, and South L.A. What, what are we talking about? You know, what, what are we talking about when we think about these groups that define eras and places or uh, groups who were defined by their time and their place, I guess is a better way to put it. So, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about the Beastie Boys. Uh, uh, naturally, a, gr- a group so tightly tied to New York that one of their albums is called To the Five Burrows, uh, released uh, in the wake of 9-11. That actually has a song, uh, the the title track, To the Five Burrows. Um Look, I love the Beastie Boys. Um, they're not making any more records, uh, R.A.P. MCA. Uh, but as as they've said, look, it, it would not feel right to, to go on uh, without them. So they're they're done making music together, and uh, we we've got the discography. We know what material is there. Um, let's weave us a narrative together. Uh, and and what a, a fun discography it is. And again, another group that really really evolved and kept trying to push themselves and be different and never get complacent. Anytime uh, they a band that engages or engaged with their fame in a very interesting way, kind of similar to the Beatles, right? They release uh, License to Ill as this kind of vaudeville jokester take on what if these three white guys get up there and talk about how hard they are uh, and do this kind of silly takedown of uh, masculine bravado. And nobody gets the joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they get really mad and they go make Paul's Boutique. And it was weird and nobody liked it at the time. And now it's you know held up as one of the great hip-hop records of the late 80s, if not just one of the great you know popular music records of the late 80s. So uh, a very interesting group that uh, kept pushing themselves. And again... 
look, not a lot of those songs are saying a whole lot. Some of them are, a couple, but mostly it's uh, just making a fun, good music. And uh, I don't know, I think there's a movie there. Excellent, excellent. I like that very, very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Now, for my number last pick, I, I have to talk about my honorable mention before I get there. Hit me. Because I, I do think that there is a potentiality for a teenage angsty growing up story in the Bay Area, Bay Area San Francisco, uh, a film about the music of Metallica. I, I, I think <laughs> that totally can be done. And again, very, very successful, crowd-pleasing, commercial success kind of film. But that's not what I want to see because that's really not the kind of movie I like. You guys know the kind of movies I like. Which, we do. Which are these strange, episodic, philosophical, um, sometimes slow cinema, sometimes um, just, a, again, very, very, very thoughtful, very loosely narratively connected. And I thought, man, if we had a Rush movie that was exploring the ideas of metaphysics, the ideas, the notion of free will, what does it mean to be a person, and uh, you know, connecting a set of vignettes with a visual style linked to the sounds of 70s Rush, that would be amazing. It would be my favorite thing of all time. It's like Rush's Fantasia. Exactly. Rush's Fantasia is exactly what I'm talking about. Rush is what would have happened if none of the Beatles fucked. <laughs> rushes the beat rushes the beatles with no like sojourn into homburg's debauchery <laughs> you know what R rush is is the beatles if the beatles never got into drugs and just got into math rock instead oh, man oh my goodness so well there you go dear listener those are our picks we would love to hear what you have to say uh via uh those magical means of social media already mentioned at the top of the show but i think now it is definitely time for us to get down down to business. Yes, business. Yes, business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh. Yes, business. Yes, business time. All right. Well, we just both, are all three came back in through the bathroom window and are here to talk. <laughs> it's the only way I ever enter any building. It's, it's only through the bathroom window, yep. protected by his silver spoon. And uh, it's very, very true. <laughs> See, you set it up, man. Look, I, yeah, I, I've got faith in you. I've had a best with you. Um, so we're going to do some analysis of this film that is um, pretty thin. We're going to try. In yeah. terms of possibilities for analysis. I guess the first thing we ought to talk about is just the 60s, right? This is sort of a historical exploration of the 60s, and it's got those sort of standard things that are rolling around the 60s. So we've got a little civil rights movement, and we've got the Detroit riots. We've got a little bit of uh, the protest movement on campuses regarding the war. And then we've got uh, a, a little bit of uh, the drug culture, the counterculture, the tune-in dropout stuff, right? Uh, the Timothy Leary, which is now Dr. Geary. Instead of Leary, yeah. which is hilarious, I guess, or something. I'm yeah. Not, I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, not not Leary, not Kinkeezy or, you know, whoever Bone yeah. is supposed to be. But, yeah, definitely engaging with these ideas. And and so there there's a way in which their decades get reduced to a certain set of possibilities, yeah. right? And and I, I'm just... I'm just curious what you guys think about the way in which this film depicts the 60s. Do you find it to be accurate? Do you find it to be um, one-sided? Well, I mean, what, what do we think? Well, since you're the only one that lived through them, why don't you tell us what you think? Boom! Oh! That was so... got you because you're old, bitch! <laughs> How do you like that? That is so very hurtful. I mean, I guess it stands relevant to everything I've read in a history book or I learned about history in class. I mean, it's the very great white history of... I think that's a really great way to put it, Arthur. It, it is a very 
white telling of the 60s. And again, I mean, you know, let's credit where credit is due. The Beatles refused to play segregated shows when they first came over to the True. States. So, I mean, let's, let's not, you know, undersell them. But this film and its romanticization of uh you know loving the 60s and loving the beatles is and again jojo is a collector of character uh prudence is, is you know an asian woman i mean there are uh you know there's representation collector of character i yeah. think he did <laughs> i wasn't gonna say anything it's been though. a long day <laughs> it's been a long weekend honestly Look, Don guys i'm in the moving middle of moving see i can't he's, do i can't i can't no do words good uh me fail english that's impossible <laughs> me talk pretty one day oh my Anyway, <laughs> this is a film that does embrace representation to a certain extent, but, uh, I mean, Arthur's right. Yeah, it touches on civil rights, but only so that it can introduce JoJo, right? It touches on the war, but only so it can send Max somewhere to go. It is, as you said, a very reductive telling of the 60s that is through a very specific lens. And while those things can be effective and helpful in contextualizing a decade, uh, I, I think we do have to be mindful of the ways in which those can be reductive of a decade because a, a decade is more than 10 years. It is informed by the time that came before it and informs the decades following it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and music itself was very diverse at the time. And so political sentiment was going on in, in lots of different ways. Nixon got elected, okay? I mean, he got elected during this time. And so by a popular majority, that's a thing that did happen. And he won re-election by landslide. And so when we start thinking about the 60s, we tend to say everybody was this sort of hippie that was tuning in and dropping out. Everybody was opposed to the war. Everybody was into LSD. Everybody was uh, part of this, you know, great uh, radical upheaval in terms of civil rights. And it turns out... Nah, that, baby. No, that does not really speak to that moment. And so th there's a way in which when we start making movies about that time, you know, it's, you know, we've got Forrest showing up at the Black Panther Party in, in Forrest Gump. And Sorry, I ruined your party. But this idea that of course, you know, Forrest isn't racist and doesn't care about those kind of things. And of course, you know, Jenny cares about protesting the war. And of course, a lot of people are doing a lot of drugs. And a lot of people did do a lot of drugs during that time. But not everybody was living in Greenwich Village. Not everybody was making 60s pop music. Not everybody was into that stuff. A lot of people were our parents who were in rural parts of America. Well, I... Your parents, not my parents. Well, fair enough. Yeah, right. my, my dad was having fun in the 60s and uh, exploring uh, the United States. He yeah. was making pop music in the Greenwich Village. He was not making pop music in the Greenwich Village. He was having uh, children uh, way too young in uh, in Southern California. Though. Right. Oh, yeah. and, 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 you know, but the point I'm trying to make is is that there, there's Absolutely. a huge diversity. And people were just as into Frank Sinatra still during this time. You mm -hmm. know, and there were people who were just as much still into Merle Haggard. Oh, yeah. that's, why, that's why the Beatles were such a huge deal. Right. I mean, that is a big part. We're, we're getting into why they were a big deal musically because they changed popular music. Yes. They changed what was on the radio uh and, and again you talk to anybody who remembers this time my father uh since he's already come up will yeah will vouch for this yeah frank sinatra big band stuff was what was on the radio what was what his parents were listening to at night uh while you know dinner was being made and then the beatles happened right and it did fundamentally change what was going on in music uh, throughout the entire country. Yeah, but, but that, that didn't just change people's opinions yeah. overnight. A band doesn't do that. I'm sorry. No matter how popular they are, they don't just, oh, everybody's good now? Cool. And I think you're right, Dustin. It is reductive and, you know, irresponsible to be like, we got through the 60s and thanks to Abbey Road, there was never a war again. No, and that, yeah, no. exactly. And so that that's the first thing that sort of troubles me about that is this idea that it's a sea change and that there was a lot of sort of opposition to the Beatles right at first because the Beatles were initially just a boy band. I mean, yeah. the Beatles were in sync. Oh, it's, that's what's so wild about them. It's like 
One Direction fucked off and came back and were Rush. I yes. mean, <laughs> it, that's exactly what happened. It's, it's insane. It, it's like One Direction went off the grid for a year or two, came back, and were like, surprise, we're art rock now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're a prog band. The, you haven't invented them yet. Yes. It's okay. We're we're, we're going to do this. We're going to invent prog rock now. And by the way, something you've never thought. We're going to do that. Also, we're going to invent punk. Have you heard Helter Skelter? Yeah. The oh, fuck out. Yeah. That, I'm telling you, they put their toes in a lot of uh, a lot of pies. Yeah, they did. Well, they, they invented doom rock. I mean, they invented Black Sabbath before there's Black Sabbath. Was she so heavy? I'm just saying. It's it's wild. Yeah. So uh, anyway, the Beatles are amazing in this uh, very very instrumental moment. But they were not the '60s. They were not the '60s. And the 60s was – there's there's a lot going on. There are different scenes in different places. And uh, the ways in which, again, that moment gets reduced to what's happening in those cultural centers where you're looking at your sort of uh, San Francisco areas, where you're looking at your New Yorks, you're looking at your Los Angeles and your Londons, and you're looking at those particular places in uh, the world. That's That doesn't really speak to the entirety of the United States, American experience. Yeah, it doesn't speak to Motown in Detroit. doesn't speak to all the stuff going on in, in Nashville and the rest of the music scene in the South with you know, R&B and blues and, uh, you know, uh, the evolution of Western music and folk music and country and yep. turning kind of shifting in and out of each other and turning into different kinds of music. You're absolutely right. There is a lot of different music going on and not just different music, but different politics. You talk about the Bay Area. I mean, yeah, it was all fun in Greenwich Village, but, uh, and, you know, uh, we've got this Dr. Robert character in the film that right represents the West Coast. Well, yeah, what was also going on the West Coast was, uh, you know, Manson. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Look, it, it was a very chaotic time where a bunch of stuff was going on. It wasn't any one thing. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and of course, there was this sort of uh, youthful – and this is what's romantic about the 60s. The reason why uh, it is so uh, ripe for this kind of filmmaking is because the 60s were this moment in which uh, young people, spe- specifically college-age folks, uh, thought that they were going to be able to fundamentally change the economic – and uh, racial systems of the world. And it, it, it did not end up happening. Nice try, Boomers. Yeah, May of 1968, you know, in France especially, uh, is, is sort of one of those marker moments of that where they thought that this general strike was going to make everything come shattering down. And it just it did not end up happening. And so that results in some of the sort of uh, uh, ambivalence and uh, cynicism that we see out of Boomers as well, I think, is because, you know, they had these dreams that were shattered. Yeah, they've been uh, here. In that moment. Look, I get it. I mean, as much fun as it is to, uh, uh, to be mean to baby boomers. I get it, man. Yeah. They went through some rough shit, and uh, it ended up just getting worse. Yeah. So here's the next question I have to ask. This is a 2007 film. Yeah. So does this 2007 film speak to the situation in which the film in, 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 in which the film is uh, engaging in, in, in past circumstances? Yeah. Do those past circumstances in any way engage the present? No. I, I, I think it is so caught up in that nostalgia that it's trying to do. And I don't know even if it's trying to set out to say anything. I mean, this should be that analog for Iraq. It should be – I mean, it's set up perfectly to be a commentary on Iraq. And it, and it seems like it's going to kind of flirt with that with I want you, but it never really – has the gravitas to move forward with that commentary. And I don't know if that's intentional or not, or if it really wanted to be, you know, because it's ripe for the picking, right? It is right there on the nose and it, it just kind of skirts over it. I don't think it's fully effective. I think it is so wrapped up in just telling a story about the past and, and being in love that it misses its chance to say something poignant and powerful now. I mean, yeah, if this movie comes out in 75, I think we're talking a different game, but as it stands, it's pretty, a, a really big missed opportunity, I think. I think you're absolutely right, Arthur. Uh, and with, uh, you know, the mid-2000s, uh, I think there's an understandable 
desire to to reflect on a previous time, right? Uh, anytime you know there, there's a huge upheaval in society and in culture and politics, I think the natural inclination is to look back at a time in the past that is similar, right? Um, and I look, I'm, I'm talking out of my ass right now, so bear with me. Dustin shaking his head to confirm that's what I'm always doing, but I, I feel like there was at this time in the you know mid to late 2000s. I recall a lot of reflection on the 60s. Um, I'm trying to think if there were any other movies that tried to use the 60s to engage. Um, that there was, you know, a, 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 what was it? There's a Vietnam movie uh, with, um, oh my God, Colin Farrell. Uh, Tiger Lily, I think is what it's called. It's a Joel Schumacher movie, early 2000s. So there's a, a couple of times that Vietnam is tried to used to try and engage with Iraq and Afghanistan a little bit. Um, but I can't think of any specific examples off the top of my head, unfortunately. Uh, but I feel like that's a natural inclination, right, is to try and say, well, wh- what happened the last time we did this? And I think that's a big part of why, you know, w- with everything that's going on in the world now, we're looking back to the 30s, right, with the, the rise of far-right politics and the rise of far-left ideals um, and a, a time of intense wealth disparity like you had in the Gilded Age in the 30s. Uh, I, I think that's why when a lot of people engage with what's going on right now, we look back to the 30s because it's kind of the closest analog we have. And I think last decade, one of the closest analogs we had was the 60s. You're coming out of a golden era, the 90s and the 50s. You're coming into an era marked by unpopular war uh, and by uh, very public and very visual violence. Whether or not violence worldwide is down is irrelevant. What matters is that violence is very uh, very public and very uh, at the forefront of the conversation. And I think that's much more relevant than the actual numbers, um, at least for the purposes of this cultural conversation, right? Um, what that does, though, is what we were talking about already, right? It reduces a decade to an idea, and it's more complicated than that because when you're talking about 10 years of human life, it doesn't sound like a long time in the grand scheme of reporting history. It's a long fucking time, man. It is a long time from 60 to 69. There's a lot going on in that 10-year span. Uh, Watergate, uh, you know, the Tet Offensive. I mean, with the escalation of Vietnam, uh, with, you know, the birth of the war on drugs as we know it today, with Watergate and the disillusionment of um, American politics that has continued um, literally without interruption for the last 50 years. Again, there's too much going on to be that reductive. And you're right, it it does have a little bit of Horace Gump syndrome. And, uh, I mean, Forrest Gump obviously wasn't really saying anything when engaged with Vietnam. It was the 90s. Uh, And I don't think this, as Arthur, yeah, as Arthur put it, it's a disservice to the film. That said, I think what the film is trying to do is evoke feelings, right? And it, it makes missteps by not engaging deeper and on a, a less surface level than it does, I think. But I think it is trying to say, what does it feel like to be drafted? To be like, I'm going to claim my own destiny. I'm going to drop out of college. I don't need my parents' money. I'm going to go live in the what? In, in the, the jungle? Patties of, yeah, yeah. I did what now? Oh, shit. I shouldn't have dropped out of college, huh? Like I And I again, it tries to engage with that feeling. What does it feel like to come back from the war and like feel completely fucked up inside? 
Could it deal with that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Every movie could deal with pretty much everything it tackles a little bit more. But I think it's trying to get at a feeling. And, you know, your mileage may vary on that. But uh, I, I, does it engage with 2007? Not at all. Yeah, and that that's really the problem is that it does engage almost too much with feelings. Uh, for instance, All You Need Is Love is completely misused in this film. Mm-hmm. Right? All You Need Is Love is made into a romantic overture uh, between Jude and Lucy rather than All You Need Is Love being the solution to the war. You know, the solution to how we are going to get along as a human society, which is sort of more of what the original intention of the song was. Yeah, it's not about romantic love. It's about uh, empathy. Yeah, this is this. if we start doing that, maybe we'll all get along a little better, you know. And I think this movie works better if you, and it's almost we're kind of playing with this because we're existing in a universe where the Beatles don't exist. We're in, you know, we're always, we're in this alternate universe almost. Yeah. But it's an alternate universe that plays too close with reality. Mm-hmm. And I think if you, you know, switch it up and do an complete alternate universe and then you do something like that i think you have a stronger movie yeah i think so too i, I mean you can make the argument that the song is uh, or the the film is using the songs not as uh, people's internal monologues but as the songs that are on the radio while these things are happening right and if yeah. you want to go that route maybe but yeah i mean i think arthur you're right as it stands this has presented us a world with no beatles and uh, everybody just has their mu- that music in their hearts for whatever reason and uh it makes things clunky and uh, i think Anytime it tries to be concrete, and that's that's why I went back to feelings. And you're right, feelings, emotion cannot carry a film on its own usually. But those are this movie's strongest moments, yeah. right? Is where it really leans into uh, the abstract, where it leans into the surreal, where it says we cannot give words to describe these feelings. That's why the Beatles were musicians and not novelists. Um, and I think when the film gets out of abstracts and tries to be concrete, with the, you know the death of Jojo's brother, with um, you know the the the, the fight at, at the the student organization uh, with uh, Logan Marshall Green. I always forget his name. Uh, Tom Hardy Jr. Yeah, baby Tom Hardy. Yeah, not Tom Hardy. Uh, shows up in this movie and has no songs. It gets punched by Jim Sturgis. Yeah. It's very funny. But when he shows up, you know, it's trying to be like, oh, you want a revolution, huh, buddy? It's like, okay, now we're. Now we're a little bit lost in the weeds. Yeah. But when the film is about these musical sequences that just flow into one another and just says, look, this part of the movie is not going to make narrative sense, but it doesn't matter. Those are the strengths of the film. And I think what hurts the film is is trying to find those those narratives to, to hang its hat on and, and trying to get bogged down in you know, dialogue to connect these songs when you know they – the film is most effective when it just lets the feeling of the song carry the characters as opposed to trying to have dialogue that ties the songs together. Absolutely. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about, I think, is one of the one of the few sort of theoretical um, footholds that the film engages, which is this uh, sort of a conflict between the idea of production of art and uh, – protest as political change that it's either you know social activism or making art and that by making art you can uh, you can affect political change perhaps perhaps not and perhaps uh through uh protest movements and uh, sort of activism, you can affect political change. And the debate as to which of those is most effective. So I guess I just want you guys – I want to hear what you guys think about is art useful for political um, change and is activism all that useful? Do we need to have attention? Do we need to have a dialectic? What do we need to have in order to get something done? Because I think the film suggests that nothing gets done 
and we just kind of keep on keeping on, which is kind of what went down. Uh, I think the Soviets would argue that art's influential in politics, but I don't know. Yeah, they certainly You can't would. ask them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not true. Yeah. There's a lot of them still kicking around. There, there are some Soviets still about, yeah. I, you know, I, my, my thought is I don't know. I mean, a lot of those art movements, they have these sort of grandiose political sort of aims, right? To make the world different, to change everything through art that is confrontational and through that confrontational experience, whether we're talking about dialectical montage and Soviet cinema in the 30s, or we're talking like a panache kind of stuff in France in the in the uh, 60s and 70s, or the Situationists, or something like that. That they, they would put together these manifestos, and now we are going to change the fundamental sort of organization of society, right? And art doesn't ever seem to quite push that edge over, right? It doesn't ever seem to quite get that done. However, the other side of that conversation is we have this massive student revolt at work, right, in the 1960s, protesting a war that continues to go on, as Lucy points out. We have this massive student revolt, especially in Europe, uh, against the economic system of capitalism. And, of course, I think capitalism is doing just fine in France. Yep. Uh, So the question is, is there an effective means political change? Do we need to be thinking about art in regard to this? Do we need to be thinking about activism? Or do we need to find some way to get these two um, from being so antagonistic and perhaps getting them working a little bit synergistically? I mean, to to bring back Arthur's uh, quote he chose to open the, the show with, sometimes music's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the only way you can affect change is trying to make the, your life and the lives of the people around you more livable. Um, and uh, I, I think any... Honestly, any activist or artist who would argue that their idea is going to be the one that changes things is the fucking charlatan. Um, and I, I think the honesty is saying this probably isn't going to matter, but this is all I know how to do. And I, I think that that's one of the moments of the film I really like is uh, the the one scene that really does engage with this is Jude and Lucy kind of have their big blow up. And mm-hmm. he says, look, I don't have a megaphone. This, this is what I got. This is all I know how to do. Uh, but, you know. I'm in love with you. Your brother slash my friend is maybe going to die. Um, all of our friends are like having all this upheaval. And again, sometimes all you can do is, you know, pin strawberries to a canvas or, you know, whatever your, uh, your passion du jour is. Right. Sometimes that's all you can do. And, uh, I, I think there is a, I don't know, there's something to be said for being realistic, like, uh, in, in that way. If that makes sense. Uh, but I think you're right, Dustin. Ideally, there's more of a, a dialogue and a synthesis, right? Is uh, different scenes acting together and informing one another and trying to bring these, uh, you know, the types of personalities that go into activism, the types of personalities that go into art, the types of personalities that go into both of those things and trying to use all of all of that to move things forward. That's really the ideal. Um, but, yeah, sometimes it, it's harder to do that because uh, people get mad at each other. Yeah, and it's hard to cooperate, even if you agree with somebody. Well, and I, I think you know my thought on the thing was is, is that you don't need to take one side or the other. You don't need to say, okay, we need to have art that challenges the masses, or we need to have a uh, sort of a vanguard, you know, and, and sort of a classical Soviet uh, pragmatics and tactics um, that is uh, protesting and, and trying to move society forward. That you need art that inspires the vanguard. You need a vanguard that inspires the artists. And without the protest movement, the Beatles aren't as good. Yeah. Without the Beatles, the protest movements aren't as good. That you need to have the you need to have the Beatles writing their music, which inspires 
people to protest. And when they're at the protest, they need to be blaring on the loudspeakers, hey, you want a revolution? Well, you know. That's the kind of thing you need in both of those situations. And instead of this sort of antagonistic dialogue that's going back and forth, you need something, again, more dialectic. Um, yeah. Or you synthesize those things and uh, move uh, something a bit more forward. So I guess uh, – yeah, my, my thought is, is if we just got to pay attention to everybody and realize that there there's a place for boots on the ground and people should put their boots on the ground as much as they can. And there's a place for art and people should put their paint to canvas as often as possible in whatever form of paint and canvas medium that you happen to use, whether it's celluloid or music or strawberries on a canvas, uh, whatever it happens to be. Well, and I think uh, as we're, we're, we're wrapping up, I, I think the thing that we need to ask ourselves is, do the Beatles do this right? Because what is happening here is, Sometimes those artists who are trying to push the boundaries become the biggest band in the world. And uh, that is a time when you really can make that argument. Can art change things? Well, if the art you're making is the most popular art being made, maybe. I, you know, and that introduces a whole host of other questions that carry on into the, you know, the 80s with the, the acquisition of the, uh, the Beatles back catalog. And they started getting used in Pepsi, Pepsi commercials, right. which really uh, made everybody mad at the time. Uh, well, it's, it's about pushing the needle. I mean, that's the thing you have to recognize. Is that if we say that all the time on the, the show. Just a little bit forward, then that's a good thing. How do we feel about the use of the Beatles uh, discography in this movie just overall as we're kind of bringing in the station? Uh, because the only reason I bring it up, as we were talking about um, – you know, the 60s were not just the New York scene or whatever. Right. They weren't just the Beatles. Uh, I thought about the way that the film chooses to use uh, the song Helter Skelter is during this this police riot, uh, this police ignited riot, uh, this moment of violence in the film. This is really this this kind of dark second act break, right? Um, and I think it's an interesting choice to use the song Helter Skelter, which for obvious reasons related to the Manson family has uh, violence and trauma tied to it intrinsically. It is yes. unescapable at this point. It is a, a song that has evolved past its original meaning. And I think the movie engages with that in a way that's really interesting by having that underscore moment of violence. I just That's one moment I thought of. I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on you know how this movie engages with, with the Beatles overall. I think it does a good job, and we talked about this off mic, and you've already mentioned this, um, that by not just playing the hits, I think it's it's an excellent choice there to sort of expose uh, a bit more of what's going on with the Beatles uh, musically because they are more interesting than, uh, you know, sort of I Want to Hold Your Hand and, you know, those kind of songs. And so there, there, there's more to them than that. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I like what they do. I like the choices they make. I, I would, you know, there are songs I like better. I mean, the fact they're using the character Max, I would love to hear Maxwell Silverhammer. It's a ridiculous. Which gets alluded to uh, a couple of times. Yeah, it's a really, really silly song. But, yeah, well, I, I kind of wanted that. But, I mean, everybody else gets their title track. He doesn't. Yeah, though. I know. It's still fair, right? But uh, that, that being said, otherwise, yeah, it's fine. You know, uh, I, I don't have any problem with it. I think their selections were good. I mean, I, I, I could have possibly done different things, but I don't think I would have necessarily done better. What do you think, Arthur? I, I agree. I, I, I think they all work to good effect. I could have done, I, I, you know, like I said earlier, I think uh, I want to hold your hand is just kind of there to get it there, uh, which I don't think is necessarily, um, but it does set up Dear Prudence, which is a, you know, interesting choice. It's for, a great number. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I think, you know, those things, I, I like that we aren't just getting the hits. Like we're getting a little bit of everything, and I think that really works to the film's favor because it easily could have just been, you know, the the greatest hits, and I think it would have suffered more for that. And and I I do think some of the bigger hits kind of do suffer. I don't love the Hey Jude sequence, which I think could have been really. I kind of like that one. That's all right. Um, You're right though. It, it it should be one of the songs of the movie, and yeah, it's not. Yeah. 
I do like the choice dialogically to use the Judy Judy Jude 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 as he's coming home to get it as, yeah, as he's coming home. Yeah, like that's it's that's, clever. That's money. Right yeah. There. Oh yeah. No, Julie Taymor finds interesting places for all of the the fun like vocal flourishes and yeah you know, yeah she finds a cool the the drum breakdown. Speaking of Hey Jude with the uh, the guy banging on the corner like yeah, yeah that's nice. Um, obviously, um, come together is one that's full of of moments of like cutting the dialogue and the music into the scene and ways. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah she, the arrangements uh, we talked about this already. Yeah. It's just it really is extremely well done. Yeah, there's some great. I mean, just some like sound mixing stuff. You know, there's the the clicking of the beating of the clock in one of the songs when she's uh, Lucy's waiting to get out of school, mm-hmm. and there's the ticking of the clock mm-hmm. that's matching the song. So there's some fun stuff like that. Yeah, a couple of bars of uh, a day in the life yeah. interspersed over another song. Yeah, fun yeah. stuff like that. So uh, yeah, I, 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 overall, I think they're great picks. I, I think it was a very well curated list, and when you're dealing with that much, one, like ten million for the rights. I think is what I read uh, to wow. these songs. Holy shit. It, yeah, I think it averaged out to like 330,000 per song, uh, which is just Yikes. buck wild. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, I think they got their money's worth and, and made some good choices with it. All righty, all righty. Well, let's come to the point of the show where we must render a verdict regarding this. So we're going to make our final statement on Across the Universe, not the Beatles. And so uh, Shell for Trash Elsewhere instead, I go to you first, Arthur Gordon. What do you say? Shovel trash elsewhere instead across the universe. I don't want to hold its hand. I'm going to put it in the trash. Nicely played. Um, I, I think uh, else uh, another fun movie about uh, musicians in the village. Uh, I think you watch Inside Llewellyn Davis. Yeah, uh, which does some really uh, just some. It, it does kind of do that existential thing uh, and dealing with the larger questions of life uh for something similar to this the kind of jukebox type thing i think you watch moulin rouge yeah i think it's got a lot more life and heart to it uh and interesting choices with the music there some fun stuff uh and finally uh dealing with the 70s dealing with the uh the politics and doing something different with it uh, i think we go back to the first film in this uh, tri- uh marathon you watch jesus christ superstar uh which is you know, a, a tale as old as time, but it's also dealing a lot with the politics of the time in the 70s and the 60s. And so I, I think that uh, is doing some really interesting stuff and, and is a better film than this. Excellent, excellent. I appreciate that all very much. What do you say, Dalton? Show for trash, Elser instead. I am going to go ahead and put this on, put this on the shelf. Uh, while the 60s are not the Beatles, and while the Beatles are not the 60s, you would... Uh, be lying if you do not say the two are intrinsically linked and i think what this film tries in its best moments to do is take a feeling uh getting drafted having somebody overseas against their will and not knowing if they're going to be okay feeling insecure and jealous about uh, your partner's new interests that you don't have any way to engage with right i mean these are all uh unrequited love and uh you know in a friend group dynamic um protest, uh, drug addiction, uh, psychedelia, um, love. I mean, all of these feelings, all of these moments that really, you're you're absolutely right. They very much Forrest Gump the 60s um, in in this film. But I I think what they're trying to do is say, you know, the the Beatles were the soundtrack for a lot of young people's lives at this time. And this is the feelings those people were feeling. Um, And it would uh, serve the film better if it was more like Jesus Christ Superstar, if it was more about... Uh, letting songs inform characters um, and, and letting those moments kind of tie themselves together. The downside being they got to write the lyrics for Jesus Christ Superstar. They they don't get to write the lyrics here, and it's not like the Beatles have, uh, you know, concept albums with sequels, right? They do have right. to find the narrative on their own, and that is always going 
to limit you as a storyteller when you're hamstring yourself like that. Just that's going to ha- be how it goes down. But I, I think even though the film could have been stronger with different choices, like less dialogue or, you know, more, you know, uh, abstractism in terms of, of plot, I, I think it works for what it's trying to do. It is trying to be uh, – the, the Ready Player One analogy is very apt, Arthur. I mean, mm-hmm. as I said, it's got the greatest six of the 60s. It's got segregation, the war, drugs – uh, music. I mean, it, it is a real like, hey, remember this? It is very much a nostalgia piece, but it's a good one. And I think one that um, while glossy-eyed and rosy-eyed is, um, look, sometimes there is merit to a film like that. And uh, while this is not going to change the world, I think this is a film with merit that has kind of been lost uh, to the uh, the echelons of history. And um, yeah, you should go check it out if you haven't. I, I, I think um, I'm glad you guys watched it, even if you didn't love it, because I, I think this is a forgotten film that deserves to have its praises sang. What should you pair with it? Well, you need a more dense understanding of the 1960s. Uh, I think a great place to start with that is a film of the 60s, and that's Easy Rider. Mm, uh, yes. A film, look, sometimes if you want to know about a decade, you got to go watch the art they made. You can't just make a retrospective. you got to look at what was actually happening. And I think Easy Rider does a good job of being a film about the 60s, about the counterculture, about uh, people choosing to live a drifter life, choosing to live a drifter lifestyle for, you know, whatever reason they, they find uh, relevant. Uh, and it's a great film. It's one of the great uh, early crossovers from indie cinema into big studio success. Um, so for that, you got to check it out. Um, if you want a film that does a better job of engaging with things that this movie kind of drops the ball on, um, go check out Selma by Ava DuVernay, which is yeah. a great film with a great performance from David Oyelo as uh, Dr. King. Um, this film has a really great sequence of Jojo playing while my guitar gently weeps after learning about the death of Dr. King that, uh, I don't know, I, I, I was going back and forth during that sequence with Jude being the one that sees the news. Uh, but when they transitioned to Jojo, I was like, okay, well, at the very least, we're we're engaging with... I hate this as a tragedy. I don't look. I'm trying to be uh, apologetic for it. Yeah. I don't like it either. My problem with it is simply this. It is intercut with two narrative strands, right? So we've got Jojo reacting to the assassination mm-hmm. of Dr. King. Yeah, yeah. And we've got Jude mm-hmm. reacting to breaking up with yeah, his, his girlfriend. girlfriend. Yeah, it's gross. It's yeah. icky. And the two of them commiserating at the end of it. Now, again, no. I think the film, the filmmakers will probably try to argue that, uh, well, Jude is just as sad about Dr. King. It just so happens that it corresponded with another sad thing in his life but look this is not a movie about dr king this is a movie about jim sturgis and evan rachel wood and uh that's always going to overshadow the historical narrative so yeah no it's gross but uh i'm trying to be a little bit of an apologist to at the very least say it doesn't totally work you should go watch selma instead um or at the very least if you're going to watch across the universe you should probably pair it with something that engages with a very serious real world issue in a little bit more concrete and realistic of a way and finally, if you want a little bit more background on the Beatles, how they became the Beatles, uh, go check out Ron Howard's documentary, Eight Days a Week, uh, The good. Touring Years on Hulu. Yeah, uh, it's it's really fun. It's short. Uh, it honestly could stand to probably be another 20, 30 minutes longer, honestly. Um, but a lot of great archival footage, a lot of great interviews, um, and just a fun exploration of how they went from being One Direction to being Rush, as we said earlier, um, because it starts with their... You know, their days playing clubs in Liverpool and goes to Sergeant Pepper, and that's where the documentary ends. So uh, if you want a little bit more history lesson on the Beatles, go check out that film eight days a week.
All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. And so now, bang, bang, the Hebrew hammer comes down upon this film. Um, oh. I stand al- the cheese stands alone. And, and, that's and, a that's a mighty big hammer I, to drop. Man, I just... Is it Maxwell Silver Hammer? It, 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 well, yeah, the Maxwell Silver Hebrew Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> that reference isn't going to make sense to anybody who hasn't been listening to the show yeah, for five years. It's, it, yeah, but that's okay. Uh, no, I don't like the show. I don't like this movie very much. And you don't so, like this show? I like the show okay. Um, <laughs> Arthur and I can do it by ourselves. <laughs> Peace. Uh, <laughs> uh, we can't because I can't edit anymore. So oh, shit. Yeah, you got to. <laughs> so we need him. Nope, you're stuck. Okay, I guess I'll stay at least one more week for one more show. <laughs> but that, <laughs> subscribe to this podcast, or we'll shoot this Dustin. <laughs> so what I would say is, if you like this movie, that's fine. Uh, you should probably watch Forrest Gump because you'd probably dig that. And you, you know that that's you know you should probably watch Moulin Rouge because you like the. And I think it's a better version. Moulin Rouge is a better version of this kind of film. Um, so not by a lot, but a little bit. You know, so those are the things I guess if you like it. But since I'm saying what you should do instead, what you should do instead is listen to the Beatles specifically. I'm going to recommend the Beatles Anthology Volume Three. Um, this is this is a very very personal Dustin recommendation. Okay, I don't love the Beatles until they get on drugs. I know what contradictions and paradoxes that entails. Hey, but, buddy, it's the right answer. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I I like the Beatles. They're uh, fun before the drugs. After Rubber Soul, I love the Beatles. And the Anthology 3 deals with the psychedelic years, and it's all full of outtakes, B-sides. It is uh, different alternate versions of some of the I like great... that they do that with the remasters. Yeah. They go they go find a take that they liked better. Well, I say they. Ringo and Paul do. Right. And then there's a lot of just, just messing up, you know, and messing around. I mean, there's there's a great moment um, on uh, on Happiness is a Warm Gun where uh, John's starting off, and he just, oh, wrong chord, and he starts over again. And and, Hell yes. And so it's got all Ugh. that sort of like... Give really, me that humanity. Yeah, that, that fun sort of errata, marginalia kind of stuff going on. What does that it. mean? Uh, errata is... Uh, and marginalia... Errata is, is sort of the, the this Tom, uh, Thomas Franklin, Benjamin Franklin term mm-hmm. for mistakes. Gotcha. Right. And so it's full of that kind of stuff in just different ways. And they're working out how they're going to do the song. Um, they have conversations. You know, there's one point where uh, Paul McCartney sings the musical interlude um, that he wants to be placed into the song on <sighs> piano. Cute. And so it, it, it's got a lot of that going on, and it's it is, it's it's like three discs. It's, so it's like 35, 40 songs uh, from that period, and it's a lot of good stuff. So if nothing else, listen to uh, Beatles uh, Anthology Volume 3. Uh, I think you'll have a good time with that. And if you want to watch a Beatles movie, um, of course, Hard Day's Night's great. Of course, you know all the Lester stuff's good. But I'm going to recommend a, a little movie called Backbeat. It's a biopic about the Beatles during the Hamburg years. Um, it's a lot about the life of Stu Sutcliffe, who was um, John Lennon's best friend, who originally played bass for the Beatles and uh, his tragic death. And so there's a, it's, a, it's a really, really moving story. And it's, it's something I saw in my teen years, uh, much like you saw across the universe so it may or may not hold up as well as i remember but i liked it a lot so i'm gonna recommend backbeat uh for that so there you go dear listener those are recommends and as arthur said we're gonna do one more show and i guess uh, i guess um i got nothing better dalton to do. insists at gunpoint yeah um so uh what are we gonna do next arthur yeah look i'm going down with the ship are you i mean i'm gonna try i'll look down on you then <laughs> i will look down upon you next week we watch the cult classic, I guess. It, it's cult Maybe? Cli- uh, look down. Just, look down. Just keep looking down. Look down on us as we watch 
Les Miserables. That's right. It's the classic of Dust, Dustin's cult. Yes. <laughs> Les, Mi- Les Mis. Les Mis. The Jean Valjeanians. Les Mis starring Wolverine uh, and, uh, and Maximus. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, or Jarrell. I mean, you know. Yeah. And Catwoman. And, and Catwoman. Yeah. It, this this is Dustin's across the universe. Yeah. He is. And Borat. Yeah. And yeah. and his. Oh, that's right. Borat's, Borat's in, in it. it. Yeah. I thought you were saying Les Mis is Dustin's Borat. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know if uh, that works. I totally forgot. Such yeah, my, my favorite part is when uh, Hugh Jackman and uh, Russell Crowe wrestled naked on a hotel bed. That is my favorite part. Oh my too. god! Yeah, please. That's, that's what I always repeat. Do they? Does that happen in this movie? I wore, yeah. I wore. All the right, VHS cool. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Dustin loves not only Les Mis but specifically this adaptation of it. I really do. I really um, do. And uh, I'm excited. I, I know this is kind of a much maligned adaptation sometimes in, in some th- theater and musical circles. So I'm excited to watch it and uh, and see why you like it so much. Uh, which is why I was excited to make you guys watch Across the Universe was to try and. Share how much I like it and why I like it. So, well, there you go. Because that's what this this is about, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely what it's all about. It's all about this conversation about the movie. So, you keep watching this stuff. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for tuning into the Good Trash Podcast. The Good Trash Genrecast is a product of Good Trash Media. For more info on all things Good Trash, head on over to GoodTrashMedia.com. Our intro music is an original composition by friend of the show, Aaron Rodgers. And our outro music this week, assuming we don't get sued, is Come Together by The Beatles.